we are moving into a new sermon series out of the book of Jonah. And uh, we've been kind of looking at, uh, in the week kind of leading up to this, the idea that what happens in our lives is that God has a work of salvation to do. Now, I want to just remind you, and I'm going to prompt you because the first service was asleep on this one. This is your amen moment that's about to come. Don't miss it, okay? Only God can save someone. Oh, man, I love it when you're sharp like that. It just encourages me. Only God can do it. We can't do it. But yet there's this tension, isn't there? Because God uses us to play a part in people's salvation, just like he used someone to play a part in your salvation. You know, somebody, maybe a Sunday school teacher shared the word of God with you, or it was a sermon, or it was a parent, you know, or a friend that led you to Christ. God does these things in our lives through people. And so I think it's important for us to see that. And I couldn't think of anything better for us to see it than in the life of Jonah. Now, if you're not familiar with the book of Jonah, you may be familiar with the story, but Jonah is what's called one of the minor prophets. Now, the, in the old days, they took these 12 minor prophets and grouped them together and called it the book of the 12 because they are shorter. They are not of less importance. So you have prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel that are longer, where Jonah's only, you know, four chapters. So it's called the, the minor prophet of Jonah. Now, if you're going to be following along with us over the next few weeks and you didn't go through Awana, it's hard sometimes to figure out where Jonah is. You find the book of Psalms and start making a right turn. And when you get to all these names of prophets that are really short, you're kind of in the ballpark. And just a, a quick way to memorize those, because it's the book of the 12, memorize them by threes and you'll, you'll kind of get there, right? Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Do it in threes. It's just, it's kind of a little, a little trick there to kind of memorize it. And if you've given up hope already of finding it, you can just watch on the screen in a minute and the verses will be there. Or you could find it by looking at the beginning of your Bible in the table of contents. But we're going to be in Jonah for a few weeks. The reason that we've uh, entitled it The Same Boat is because I think that we look at Jonah's life and we probably see some similarities to our lives. There's a lot more than maybe we would think. And I couldn't help but think about Jonah this past week. Our family was taking a ferry boat ride out into the Pacific Ocean as we were out in California for the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, many of you who know me know that I don't do dizzy very well at all, never have. And uh, since I had those three little strokes in my life, dizzy is real fun. And we got on the boat and I asked the guy who was working, I said, how long a ride are we looking at today? Already scared, you know what I mean? And he said, about an hour and a half, it's pretty rough today. And I thought, well, how rough? And he said, we almost canceled. And I thought, oh no, here we go. And I'm telling you, we got out there and it was five foot waves coming over the boat and they were passing out those, what you see on the airplane, those air sickness bags, boat sickness bags, you know, and they were asking people like, do you want some ginger chews? And I was thinking, no, I want off this boat is what I want. Good God, help me, get me out of here, you know? I don't want any part of this. So I've been thinking about this a lot and I've been thinking about the similarities of Jonah's life to ours. For instance, have you ever run from the Lord? You know what that feels like? Jonah did. Have you ever found yourself in the midst of the storms of life? Jonah did. Have you ever found yourself sidelined from work or ministry for a season? Jonah did. 
Have you ever found yourself struggling to love the people that God loves? Jonah did, right? I mean, so there's a lot to that when we think about it in our lives. It's one of those things that that happens where we're a lot more like Jonah than we think. So in Jonah chapter one, we'll begin with the first three verses if you wanna find your way there. And as you are, I'm gonna answer two questions that come up often when we read this book. The first question is, Pastor, do you believe that Jonah was a real person? Some people say that he wasn't. I believe that he was because Jesus believed that he was. Jesus said in uh, the gospels, I'm not gonna give you any more signs, but the sign of Jonah. And when he said that, he was referring to his death and three days in the tomb, and then he would rise from the dead, like Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish and then was spit out. So I I believe in that. And in fact, there's a a reference to Jonah in 2 Kings chapter 14 that I'd just like to read for us. It said, he restored Israel's border from Labo Hamath, as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, God of Israel had spoken through his servant, the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai from Gath Hefer. So when you read that, that's a different reference. And that's 700 years roughly before the time of Christ. And you can date that because of the king of which he was talking about, he restored. He's talking about the king in Israel, um, Jeroboam there. And so when you see that, that's 700 years before the time of Christ. Second question that people often ask, do you, I mean, do you really believe that Jonah was swallowed in the belly of a fish? I do. God put it in the word. I don't think he was like trying to get one over on us. And and it's interesting. People often call this the parable of Jonah. It's not a parable. It's a prophet. Big difference. A parable is meant to teach you a lesson from something. And Jesus would often say things like, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. It's hyperbole, right? That he's saying that. Or he would say, consider the sower. There's seed that falls on the ground. He's teaching you something or the prodigal son. He's telling you something in the parables. That's not what's happening here. Jonah's a real person who's writing from a first person account for us. So with that in mind, let's read Jonah chapter one, verses one through three. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence and he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He, pray, he paid the fare and went, down into, uh, and went down into it, the boat, to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. It's an interesting thing as this book starts, it immediately starts with the calling. And I think oftentimes when we think of calling, we think of somebody like Billy Graham, you know, who, who's gone on to be with the Lord, this great man of God who God called and anointed. And you could see the hand of God in his life because if you watch any of those sermons, Billy Graham, no one ever considered him this great orator. He was plain spoken, got to the point. Billy Graham would look at a crowd and say, you're a sinner, God loves sinners. Jesus died for sinners, give your life to Christ. And people would flood the altar. It was an anointing, it was a calling of God over his life. Or maybe we think about somebody called to vocational ministry. They're not going to pursue another vocation. They're going to pursue the pastorate or being a missionary or something like that. And that's certainly true. I mean, I've experienced that in my own life. I can remember being a a 19-year-old college student in Lexington, Kentucky, visiting some family up there. And I was sitting in the little study that they had going through my daily devotional time. And I opened my little prayer notebook and was praying for these people that were in a list on there. And I got to number four and I couldn't quite get there. I felt distracted. So I went back to number one, 
Started again, got to number four, stopped, went back to number one, started again, couldn't do it, and finally just said, okay, I'm distracted, I've gotta stop. And in that moment, I said, Lord, just, I'm just gonna wait until I get this right. And in that moment, it was like the Holy Spirit entered that room itself, and I did not have an audible conversation with the Lord, but it might as well have been. It seemed so real in that moment to me as God began speaking, and he said, would you do anything I ask you to do? And I said, yes, with a caveat. I'll do anything. I want to be a preacher or something. I mean, you know, like I'm pretty happy with the career choice I've made and going to pursue that. I thought I was going to be a history teacher. So I was looking for that, you know, but I, I thought being a pastor was something my dad did. I didn't think about it for me. It was kind of this idea of like, no, that's for other people. Not for me. That's for somebody else to do. And the Lord said, but would you do it? And I'll never forget. Yes, but I'm not sure I want to but would you? Yes. And then everything went back to normal. And I thought, well, I'm glad we got that out of the way and I don't have to do that. Isn't that wonderful? It wasn't but a few months later, I was sitting downtown in that old mall that used to be called, I think the Church Street Center. I think it's where the public library is today. Eating a piece of Sabaro pizza, reading an Oswald Chambers biography. And again, the presence of the Holy Spirit overwhelmed me in that moment. And I began weeping over a piece of pizza. Must have looked like a strange sight in the church street center as the Lord said, you don't get it. I don't need you. I want you. Yes, Lord, I'll do it. Okay. We all go through that. If you work with college students, young adults, it's the question of their lives. Who should I marry? What's God's will for my life? Where should I live? What kind of work should I do? God calls us to a vocational calling and maybe yours is to be a scientist or a baker or a banker or a homemaker or, or to work in the construction trades or to do all those things. And that's great to figure out. You need to do that. There's a vocational calling that God gives us, but oftentimes God begins to speak and we need to hear it because there's a secondary calling. Notice what happened in Jonah's life in verse one. It said, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Years ago, Francis Schaeffer had, had written this book that said, he is here and he is not silent. Basically saying to the world, God speaks all the time. He's spoken through creation. He's spoken in your lives. You need to see these things that God is speaking to us. We're not living in the days like the olden days in the Old Testament. I remember the story from the prophet Samuel and, and as it's recorded in Samuel chapter one, I'm sorry, chapter three and verse one, where it says in those days, the word of the Lord was rare and prophetic visions were not widespread. We don't have to wait on the word of the Lord. God's given it to us. It's right here. God speaks and he wants to speak to you. He wants you to know him. And in Jonah's life, God began to speak and I think the tragedy is for many of us is that we live like 1 Samuel chapter three is normative. I haven't really heard God speak. Well, maybe it's because we're not listening. Maybe it's because we're not reading. Maybe it's because we're not going before him and asking him to use the word in which he's revealed himself to us to speak to us and overwhelm us so that we may know his will for our lives. God speaks through his word. God speaks through circumstances. God speaks through our prayer life. God speaks through other believers in our lives. But so oftentimes we can't hear him. There's too much noise. It's too much noise. We live in the most distracted generation that has ever been. 
That's why I encourage you. I know it's old school. Bring a Bible. And I'm not ragging on you if you brought your phone and you're looking at it. I read the Bible on my phone sometimes too. But there's a reason I ask you to put your phones on airplane mode and stuff those things away when you come in here. Because sure enough, you're reading the Bible and then, you know, your phone hits you with one of those alerts like, you've been sitting too long, move. (laughs) Oh man, well, I can't. Or your neighbor sends you a picture of their dog or you get the latest Facebook cat video and all those things are important in their own way, I'm sure. But we can't hear from the Lord. It's too much noise. We get in the car surrounded by noise. We go home, we turn on noise. We put in earphones everywhere we go. It's noise, noise, noise. And we can't hear God speak through the still small voice. The word of the Lord wants to meet us every morning It wants to speak to us. It's living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's great for our lives to be able just to go before the Lord and hear from him. You ever sat with somebody who was sitting with you but not listening? I feel like that so much of our lives are spent with the Lord just like that. It's like being on a bad date. You know, we're in the same room, we're having dinner You've paid for it, but I'm totally uninterested. Just let me eat and kind of look out the window and talk about my other friends and other things I wish I could be doing instead of just focusing and asking God to speak. Because when God speaks, notice what happens. He calls. Now, Jonah had a secondary call given by God to his life. Look at verse two. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh. Preach against it because their evil has come up before me. And Jonah got up and did what? Ran away. He had a secondary call in his life. You know that Jonah was already a prophet. He's already speaking the word. That's recorded for us elsewhere. But now he has a secondary and a very specific call on his life. It was a specific need. What was it? Nineveh, the great city, was evil. And that had come before the Lord's presence. It's like the Lord saying, it's risen up so much I need someone to go speak and do this. And they were wicked. They needed the Lord. They needed a gospel message preached to them that there was a God in heaven and they weren't serving him and judgment was bound to come if they didn't. The secondary call of God in our lives is not unlike what one of my friends described it as. He called it a nudge. I love that. It's a nudge. You're going along your way and it's like the Lord goes, uh, just hits you a little bit and you go, hey, Leave me alone. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to feel that. But I love that illustration, that word, that nudge. You're going along in your life. You know what God's will is for your life. You're following your vocation. You're married. You're not married. Whatever you're doing, you know that God has you where he wants you. And then all of a sudden, hey, but look over there. And there's a little push. I'll never forget one of the times that God did that to me. Kathy and I were at a conference and Charlotte, North Carolina, and we were listening to a man named Victor Kulbich preach to that conference. And he was talking about what life was like in Ukraine. He was talking about how since the fall of communism, they'd had this great revival that had come. But then what had happened is that the people's hearts were growing cold. And he said, man, we've got this this center, we call it the Ukrainian Center for Christian Cooperation. We're training pastors and leaders and we have a a home for children and foster care for us. And we're we're planting churches and we need your help. And as as he began to preach that message, I just felt like the Lord was going, hitting me. At the end of that message, he stood up and he said, please, to everyone in attendance, come to Ukraine. We need you. I remember taking Kathy by the hand and walking down front and 
with tears in my eyes telling him, I don't know when and I don't know how, but I will be there. It took me a couple of years. In fact, I was on staff here. They were one of our first mission projects that we ever undertook with me leading that. And we took folks two different times to Ukraine and, and worked at the Ukrainian Center for Christian Cooperation right in Kiev. God nudges you, you've got to respond. It happens when we see a need. It happens when we hear a message. It, it happens when we meet one of our mission partners. It happens when you see someone on the street and you see the need and you know that you must respond to it. I'm so grateful that in light of the events of what happened in our country this week where our country finally decided that, that life was something to consider valuable and worth protecting, that months ago, even years ago, some ladies in our church said, we need to start a ministry called Embrace Grace that walks alongside mothers who are having an unplanned pregnancy. And if, if you've heard me talk about it, we got to have that first kind of graduation ceremony this past spring and what a wonderful day it was. And, and, and if you see the need and you turn away, what have you done? It's a secondary call. God says, I'm equipping you. I'm sending you. Go and make a difference there. But how can we if we never hear from him? How can we if, if we never hear God speak? How will we ever hear the call that he's trying to get us to do? How will we respond to that? It's one thing to be excited about what happened in the country this week, and I hope your heart is rejoicing like mine is. It's another thing to say, now we have work to do. It's one thing to walk past someone who's in need. It's another thing to enter their story and, and make a difference there. But Jonah like many of us, was running scared. He had many reasons to run. The nation of Assyria was not in friendly relationship with Israel. In fact, they had Israel under what's called tribute status, meaning they had conquered them, and they said, we're gonna let you keep your king, but here's the thing, you have to pay us X amount of tribute every year. So what we do is we deplete your resources and let you have a little puppet government so you feel good about yourself, but we strip you bare of everything that would allow you to grow and flourish and thrive. And we take all the good of your land and we're gonna use it for ourselves. So you can imagine there might've been a little bit of hostility there. He'd been called to go alone. Nineveh was a, a big city, multiple days journey across it. And he was called as the only one to go. He was pretty sure of an undecided outcome. In fact, We'll read later that he knew the outcome and that's why he didn't want to go because at the end of the day, he was afraid that God would be merciful to them. See, Jonah was living with all of these questions and we look at him, we say, you're such a baby. And yet we are too. We run scared, don't we? Has God ever called you to anything and you ran away? Maybe we act just like Jonah did. We, we view people as us versus them. That's a mentality that doesn't work. How can we share Christ with people that we call them? That doesn't work. In the political landscape in which we're living, we may feel a lot like Jonah. We may feel like there's an us and a them, but there's not. There's just people that Jesus died for who are lost and who are saved. And the us need to go to the them who are lost and preach the gospel of good news regardless of what their political beliefs are, what they think about it. We need to love them. You can't share Christ with people you don't love. It doesn't work. I think that's what's probably to me been one of the most saddening things to watch the American church do over the last couple of years. 
We've lost the ability to think as citizens of the kingdom. We think as Americans first. Now look, I recognize that in our room this morning, we have a lot of us from all different kinds of countries. And I hope you love your home country. I love America. Don't get me wrong. July 4th's coming. I'm going to shoot a firecracker and eat a slushie. You know what I mean? We're going to do it. All of those things. I, I'm glad to live in this country. It's, it's not that. But this is not my home. It's not yours either, by the way. And if you view things through a political landscape or an American landscape, you miss the kingdom. We have to identify and understand what people are dealing with. Isn't that interesting that Paul called sinners? He said, Christ Jesus came to die for sinners of which I'm the chief sinner. I understand them because I'm just like them. I was lost until God found me. God saved me. God did it. I love what Pastor Jack says all the time to us around here. You won't pray for people long who you hate. We have to love them. We have to understand that there might be a million reasons we're scared to go, but we're not fighting people. Ephesians 6 taught us that it's not about flesh and blood. It's principalities and darkness and rulers and dominions and kingdoms that we can't see. So we fight on our knees, praying and asking God to send us and bring the gospel. But Jonah thought he could outfox God. God said, get up and go. Jonah said, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go away from here. He got on a ship and went to a place called Tarshish. It's an unknown place, but some people think that it's probably on the far side of Spain. That's where he's trying to go, not to Assyria. He's trying to get away from there. When you think about that, it's funny to think you can hide. King David knew that there was nowhere he could hide. Do you remember this psalm? I love the psalms and I love this one. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live on the eastern horizon, or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be the night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day, darkness and light are alike to you. It strikes me that possibly in this room, somebody came in this morning and you're running. We've all done it. We know the feeling uh, all too well. In the United States, we have a fugitive task force led by the United States Marshals and they normally get their man as they, as they say. It's amazing the work that they can do, but they don't even hold a candle to the Lord. If God knew that the evil of Nineveh had come before him, you don't think he knew where Jonah was gonna be? You don't think he knows where you are right now. And let me tell you one of the greatest things about the God that we serve is that he is so gracious. He chases us. He pursues us. He will run you down with his love because he has loved you with an everlasting love and sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross in your place, in my place, so that we can have a relationship with him. We were not destined to spend our eternity separated from God while he's enjoying the fruits of heaven for us to spend eternity suffering in hell. No, Jesus died so that we could be restored to God the Father and have a relationship with him. He will pursue you and there's nowhere that you'll go that you can get away from him. Jonah forgot that, but God didn't because God knows it all. And I think about how 
Oftentimes we think we can outfox God. I think about the times that I didn't say yes to the Lord. I remember a number of years ago, one of our former Global Focus Mission partnerships, the Church Mission Network, K for K, feeding orphans in Africa. The widows of the church feed beans and rice three times a week to these children who are starving. Every month I get their report, hundreds of people saved in those church feeding locations. I just finished a book, maybe you remember it from a number of years back, called Radical by Dr. David Platt. He was the president of the International Mission Board for the Southern Baptist Convention. And in it, he talked about training pastors overseas. And I remember reading that and thinking, Lord, if I was going to go overseas again, I would love to go and do that. About two, three weeks later, I was having lunch with Phil Johnsey, the leader of the Church Missions Network. And he said, hey, I need you to go to Africa with me and train some pastors. And I was like, nope, can't do it. Sorry, not your guy. Can't make that trip. It was a few weeks later, they were on the trip and I remember having a quiet time and I was praying about some things and I just remember the Lord. It was like he said to me, uh, should I take this prayer seriously or is it like the last one? You know, you prayed that you could go and train pastors and then I open up the door and you're like, oh, I'm scared. You ever do that? Don't act, y'all act so smug and spiritual when I tell these stories. It's like I'm the only sinner in the room and I'm not. I know most of you, you know what I mean? You ever felt that way? It's tough, right? And I remember telling the Lord, I'll, I'm gonna repent of this and I'll repent to Phil. And if you give me another chance, the answer is already yes. It will not be no. Phil got back from that trip and we were having lunch talking about how great it was. And I was sitting over there, you know, just kind of waiting for the moment to be like, hey, I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. I told the Lord I would do this. And that moment came and I said, hey, I need to repent. I told God I wanted to do this. You gave me the opportunity and I blew it. And if you ever give me that opportunity again, the answer is yes. And he said, I'm so glad you said that. In two months, we're going back. And I was like, man, come on. Here we go. I'm so glad I got to do it. So many times, are we kidding with God when we say we want to be used? Are we kidding around? Are we, are we acting like uh, we want to do this so it kind of seems spiritual? Is it kind of a, a fancy feeling that we have in our minds? Or is it something that we really want God to do in our lives? We can't do it if we're running scared. And I want to just tell you, when God speaks to you and calls you to do something, it ought to scare you because it will be a God-sized task. That's why God says over and over again, don't be afraid. Every person that he ever revealed his will to, go back and look in scripture. It always starts with don't be afraid. Why is that? Because he knows we feel inadequate. You are inadequate to the God-sized task, but he is adequate and he will equip you. If you could do it on your own, he wouldn't need, uh, you wouldn't need him rather. And, and instead God comes to us. I love that in the book of Joshua, just as Joshua is about to take over the leading of the nation three times, God says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why do you think he's telling him that? Because he was afraid. He had a lot of reasons to be afraid. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never led. Moses is gone. This feels scary. I've not experienced this before. I've never done this. I've never taught in the nursery. I've never taught in the preschool. I've never taught students. I've never led a life group. I've never been on a mission trip. I've never seen a need and met it, Lord. I don't know what to do. Just say yes. And trust that he will lead and equip and provide. I got to tell you folks, in this season that we're about to enter in, in our church, 
I believe we need to be ready for God to do some things. There are three ministries this week that just keep popping up in my mind over and over again as we go into the fall. And, and I think this is important for you to see this. We're going to ask you this fall to not only give and engage with our partnerships, but to go with them. And there are three of them right in this church that I think are going to be critical. And we need you to say yes and say it now. You go ahead and sign your name to the check and let God fill in the amount. It, it's your life, right? Let him, let him have it. We need to be ready for what's going to come down the line with our Embrace Grace ministry. It's one thing for us to say we are pro-life. It's another thing for us to be pro-life and act pro-life. It's important for us to understand that. That requires a sacrifice. It will require more than slogans and Facebook posts and things like that. It requires your time, attention, your details, your life. Our recovery church ministry, Pastor Jimmy and Hong are over here. Wave your hand over here, Jimmy, so everybody can see you. Y'all know him and... He preached here a few weeks ago when I was absent and I really appreciated Pastor Tim telling everybody how glad they were I was gone so Jimmy could preach. Thank you, Tim. Always count on you to encourage me. We were glad Jimmy preached and I hope it moved your heart like it did mine. Our recovery church movement that God has started in Florida and brought to us here, we're going to have more and more, I really believe this, this fall is going to be critical are you watching the news? Are you seeing the brokenness that's happening in our world because of these things? And it's not just good enough for us to go, good job, Jimmy. Good job, Hong, way to go. No, we need to be there. We need to be supporting them. Sign up to cook a meal for them. Sign up to come one night and just be in the room to lift your praise to the Lord. Sign up to be a counselor. Sign up to do everything you can with them. Just get with them. We need to be ready. The third thing we've gotta be ready for, and there's a meeting for it today, is our, we used to call it ESL, E-L-L is what it's called now, English language. I can't say that. I, try, I did the same thing. It's not English. It's English. I did the same thing in the first service. These things get on loop repeat and they don't work. English language learners. That's a great ministry that we've had here for years. It's going to start on Wednesday nights. Folks from the community coming here and we have an opportunity to present the gospel as we teach people a skill that they desperately need. We've gotta be ready for these things. We've gotta be ready for that nudge that God gives us and not just go stop, you're bothering me, I'm happy. But to say yes, that the answer is yes, Lord, that we're ready for those things. God gives us a specific call. He gives us a general call to share the gospel. God gives us these secondary calls and we have to be ready. Last week while we were gone, I had an unusual experience. You've probably heard me say this, that you know, if I'm walking around downtown Nashville, I think it was Oswald Chambers that said, if somebody comes up to you and asks you for help or money or whatever, you let the Lord determine who asks and you just say yes. So my answer to someone, if they were to ask is yes, if I can help you, yes, sure. I think that's a divine appointment. But I was in a restaurant and went into the restroom before we ate to kind of wash up. And there was a guy at one of the sinks and it looked like he was taking a sponge bath type thing, trying to get cleaned up. And he walked out after I did and he got a bunch of napkins and he was just kind of just wandering around. And then he, he went out outside and sat down and he was just sitting on a bench. And I just kept kind of looking over my shoulder and that's still there. 
And it was one of those where the Lord was like, hey, I was like, I know, I know, but he didn't ask me. Hey, I'm asking you. Okay. Then I went out there and I, I sat down by this gentleman and I said, sir, are you doing okay today? He said, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I said, are you hungry? And it blew me away. He goes, no, not at all. He goes, I can see how you might think that about me in the state that I'm in. He said, but money's not my problem. He said, I was in the military for years and it finally just all caught up to me and I don't know, it, it's just kind of a mess. And I said, well, are you sure you're not hungry? No, I'm not hungry. And we talked for a minute more and I went back inside and Kathy said, what are we doing out there? I said, I have no idea because I thought I was supposed to go out there and buy this guy a meal and he said he didn't want it. Hmm. I thought about that all week, all week long. And it wasn't until this week as I was preparing this message that it was like, hey, you missed it. Because you know what I didn't ask him was, was he spiritually hungry? Guys, we have to be ready. We have to have our eyes open. We have to, to hear from the Lord. It's not enough just to think we kind of got it or to kind of just go through the motions. But I was so just kind of focused on what I thought was needing to happen that I never asked this person, was he spiritually hungry? As we're living in a spiritually hungry world, people need Jesus. And God has left us and entrusted us with this. It's a funny thing, right? Because if that weren't the way it was, once you got saved, God would teleport you right to heaven. You'd be gone. But for some reason, he's left us here. And as Paul says, we're ambassadors for Jesus Christ, preaching a ministry of reconciliation so that the lost world might be found so they may know Jesus. And that requires us to tune out the noise and tune into the Lord, to not pass by those moments where God's nudging us and saying, Enter into the story, enter into this person's life, enter into this ministry. We've got to be ready for it. You can't do that if we're running, you can't do it if we're distracted, you can't do it if we're not on the master's business. Can I ask you this morning, where are you? Are you ready to hear from the Lord? Are you pursuing his call? Are you listening for the word? I want to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Maybe today you've come into this room and you are literally on the run. God's been speaking to you. He's been trying to get some area of your life in conformity with his. And it's time. Perhaps today, You've been running from a specific call of God on your life. Maybe the answer is to say yes to full-time ministry, whether serving here or abroad, and, and just to surrender your life, to say whatever you ask, Lord, I've already signed the check, it's yours. Or maybe it's that you would be open to serving in one of the English language learning ministries or recovery church. Embrace grace life groups, working with our children. May our answer be yes and not always start with no, but that we would surrender our lives for the kingdom's cause. God, would you speak to us this morning?
tune our hearts to yours, Lord. And we ask this morning that you would call out the called, that you would open our eyes to the ministry opportunities around us. Father, that you would give us love for those who are lost, that you'd give us compassion for sinners. And Lord, that you would give us a word to speak that would bring joy and good news and gladness to hearts that are longing and thirsting to know you. God, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.